Welcome, friends. I guess I can call you friends. This is the first time we're meeting, but the thing I love the most about podcasts is that it feels like I can grab a cup of coffee, grab a cup of tea, and sit down and have a chat with my friends about things that we love, things we're passionate about, and really help each other nurture our learning and education. So at the times when we're together, I hope that that's how it feels. So welcome, friends, to the first episode of Music Therapy and Beyond. Side note here, I'm really excited, nervous and really excited, but I hope that you're excited too to dig in and learn together. We are a music therapy-informed podcast hosted by board-certified music therapists with content and knowledge for everyone. Each week, we bring you different segments of research, clinical skills, wellness, and of course, music. On those bonus months with five weeks, we will share a special episode of content that you won't want to miss. We are going to start off this year with research and education segment focused today all on trauma-informed care, something I'm very passionate about. But before we get to the episode, I want to take just a moment to introduce myself These first few episodes, we will take just a bit of time at the beginning for you to get to know who we are. So hi, I'm Kristen Vedito, and I'm a board-certified music therapist, and I just recertified for my second cycle, so I've been board-certified now for 10 years. I am a mama of two beautiful littles, a four-year-old little girl, and a two-year-old adorable and very rambunctious little boy. Our house is full, busy, of music and energy all day long. (laughs) When I'm not momming, I have the honor and privilege to be the owner and founder of Giving Song, a small music therapy practice here in Columbia, Missouri. Our team is actually who has come together to make this podcast possible, and I could not be more honored to work with Alyssa and Maggie on this project. You are going to love them. I am a little biased, but I think they're awesome. So heading back to the beginning, I have my bachelor's from Drury University and my master's degree from Colorado State University. For those listening and looking for a degree program, I highly recommend both of them. Just a shout out to both of them right now. <laughs> and I, one thing I want you to know, if you get nothing else from learning about me, I want you to know that I am very excited and get very, very excited to talk about music therapy. I have to actually write everything down almost to the words so that I don't run off on a tangent because I frequently just ramble and ramble on. But I am fascinated specifically about how body, as our body and our brain respond to music, like really fascinated. I'm all in it for hours of conversation about neurology, physiology, the endocrine system, and music and how they all work so beautifully together. It's just one of my favorite things ever to talk about. And if anybody who's ever met me knows that. So with a love of learning, I did, after my degree programs, pursue neurologic music therapy, um, a fellowship, as well as music therapy-assisted childbirth, pre- and postpartum music therapy, and music birth consultation. Guys, I love it all. I just, I love all of it. Music, music therapy, body, brain, love it. Love it all. Well, 
That's a little bit about my background and what brings me to this podcast. Now, let's dig into this episode after this music break. Welcome back. Over the past year or so, my team and I have had the opportunity to learn about trauma-informed care. And this is such a process um, to learn and become trauma-informed. And I'm not sure it's something you ever really attain. It's really more something that you just are on a continual journey towards. Um, but what we were finding is that, you know, we we're familiar with it, but didn't really feel comfortable with it or... Um, really felt like we could dig in and, and know the whole process behind it and, and really be very intentional about the things that we were doing. So we found that even in our daily you know, work with clients in schools and families in the home, that we were having opportunities where we really needed some more education. So we sought out experts in our area and took advantage of opportunities to learn that. And one thing I wanted to mention as a caution is that this podcast today is not meant to replace official continuing education on the subject. This rather is really to spark your interest um, and act as a call to action to seek out additional resources for yourself, your clinical practice, and in your home, honestly. This is also a great time to remind you that all of the resources links will all be in our show notes available at our website at www musictherapyandbeyond.com. So this journey towards trauma-informed care is continuous and requires diligence to stay up to date on current research. Um, the information I'm going to share are just some of the most important aspects or highlights, if you will, to begin your journey towards beginning trauma and becoming trauma-informed. So the first and most important, I would say, aspect to take away today is that we can and should probably assume that everyone we encounter has some level of trauma. That includes ourselves, our children, our clients, our friends, our coworkers, our, um, our you know, church members and community members, everybody. So if you just think outside of yourself, 
we should assume that everyone has some level of trauma. And this came from the research, um, and you can find it uh, on the CDC website, I'll I'll link to it, um, is the well-known study of the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And in that, they reported 64% of those surveyed had at least one instance of trauma. That is roughly two-thirds of the general population has some experience of adverse childhood trauma. Now, trauma could include many, many, many things. There are many layers to trauma. But um, what they kind of noted in this study was domestic violence, neglect, maltreatment, divorce, abuse, and others. So like I mentioned, there are many layers, including environmental, generational, physical, emotional, social, religious, and really many others. The subject of trauma is vast and is for another um, to really dig deep into another podcast. But today, um, what I want you to take away at first is that the importance of recognizing that two-thirds and probably more of the population have some experience of adverse childhood trauma, and it's affecting them now. So why is this important? Well, because these adverse experiences can impact an individual's ability to function. It affects the rest of their life. And any of you who have been around anybody or experienced trauma yourselves knows this, that big or small, or it's all very relative um, incidents of trauma, but it can change, it changes the way your, your body chemistry works and your brain. And so, um, we're actually getting into the part that just fascinates me. Now I told you how much I love neuro and so all the aspects of biology and physiology and all the things. So, um, I get really, uh, excited about learning this aspect of trauma-informed care because these experiences, especially in childhood, biologically, chemically, and physiologically disrupt and alter the development of the brain and the neural systems. This just blows my mind. Let's just pause here and take a moment to recognize the weight of that. It disrupts and alters the development of our brain. Now that seems... I think many of us expect that, but to really sit and and feel the weight of that, I think is an important aspect to being aware of the importance of being trauma-informed. So we are talking about disrupting healthy brain development in the victims of trauma. This is foundational to remember from this episode. So one, we can and should assume that everybody has some level of trauma and that trauma experiences change the way the brain develops. Okay, so we're going to get just a little bit technical here. So hang in there with me. We're going to get a little neuro for you. But um, the three main players we're going to talk about, or the parts of the brain, we're going to chat about today are the thalamus, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. So that's the thalamus, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. These are our main players today in this adverse stress response, which is what we're specifically going to talk about today. So very first, the thalamus receives that trauma stimulus from the senses. Then it sends it to the amygdala. And so let's, let's repeat. So the thalamus brings in that trauma response from our sensory system, and then it sends it to the amygdala, which is in the limbic system. 
in our internal structures in our brain, the amygdala is responsible for determining emotional significance of sensory input. It is also the home of dun, 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 the fear response. So probably if you know anything about the brain, you've probably heard about the amygdala and it being associated with the fight, flight, and freeze response. So because of this trauma response, the thalamus sends it to the amygdala. The amygdala then causes the brain and the body, because they are internally linked, um, into a fight, flies, or freeze response. Whether that is um, dysregulation or disassociation, um, it's uh, depending on the way our, our bodies respond. Um, but it increases our stress hormone cortisol, it increases our adrenaline, and we get all of those you know, rapid heart rate and high blood pressure, all of those. So the individual is now in a heightened sense of stress. So after an incidence of trauma, um, even minor trauma, the amygdala recognizes that there is, um, we're, we're in a state of survival. That's basically what's going on in, in our brain and our bodies right now. So when the brain and the body are in this heightened sense of stress, the higher areas of our brain for cognition, so our cortex, we cannot access. So the, the cognitive thought, the attachment, the emotional reactivity, all of these higher brain functions are unable to be accessed because the brain is in a state of survival. We, we come down to our primitive um, brainstem midbrain area. The brain is functioning in those lower primitive areas. Um, and that's where our vital functions are, like our blood pressure, our heart rate, appetite, you know, sleep, just those basic arousals. So we're going to take just a side note here to turn and to look at the four different development areas from the brain. So from low, which would be where the brain stem is, to high, more for the cortex, okay? So the first is those the brain stem that um, if you think of it like an upside-down triangle is a really great way. So we have this, this small part at the bottom, the point of the triangle is that brain stem. And then the second level is the midbrain or diencephalon, and that's Im important for arousal, sleep, eat, but those are still primitive responses, primitive um, uh characteristics of that of that part of the brain next up is the limbic and this is where we have this emotional reactivity and this is where our attachment and bonding um, aspects are really formed and then in that highest level um, is the cortex and that's where abstract and rational thought executive functions decision making all of those things are up in that cortex so according to the neurosequential model of therapeutics presented by Dr. Bruce Perry, the four levels of this stress response continuum are calm, alert, alarm, and then last is fear and terror. And these actually are associated with those four different areas of the brain. So if we look at that, ups, think about that upside down triangle at the bottom, at the point, the lower point, we have the brainstem. That is where our fear and terror state is. So when we are, we're in that primitive, let's just survive area. Then we go up to the next level, which is that diencephalon or midbrain area. That is where 
we see alarm, the alarm state. As we head back up to the um, out of the primitive areas into the limbic, um, we see that this is our area of alert. This is our arousal alert. Um, so not in alarm, not in fear, but we're just alert, but we're also not calm. That's right there um, in that limbic. And then when we're calm, that is associated with that cortex. So think about it, you know, when we're nice and calm, we're able to really think rationally about things. But when we are in a stress response, when our adrenaline's pumping and our cortisol's, you know, pumping, it's harder to think rationally. I mean, the perfect example of this um, in, in everyday, not trauma situations, but in everyday is when a child is um, a two-year-old's tantruming. You know, they're, you can't rationally talk to them. Um, they are in a state of, um, of more primitive um, responses, and they're not, you know, until they become calm and regulated that's when we can then have those cognitive um, uh, conversations up, up where they would be using more of their cortex. So with this, this is the area that we have that, that change happens. So let's recap just a minute. So the thalamus sends that trauma sensory stimulus to the amygdala. The amygdala alerts and alarms. And we have this rush of cortisol and adrenaline. And then the hippocampus, which is our third player today we're going to talk about, is affected. The hippocampus is the part of the brain also in the limbic system where memory is stored and consolidated. So from short and long-term memory. The hippocampus is also responsible for communicating the duration of an event. So... In instances of persistent and prolonged alarm reactions, such as in a trauma response, as we've just walked through, the hippocampus is impaired. And what happens is that hippocampus then sends, when it keeps getting consistent signals from the amygdala, it sends, it, it begins to learn and misunderstand that there is no end to an event. And when it begins to understand that, then it sends signals back to the amygdala, this is never going to end, which causes the amygdala to then fire again and alert again. And we're now in our alarm and fear, which then sends it back to the hippocampus. And then we start the cycle over again. It's a very dysfunctional feedback loop between the amygdala and the hippocampus. Guys, this is just mind-blowing to me. I love when I get when we get into the neuro aspect of this and start looking at the details. And so what we see is that in this prolonged and persistent trauma, the hippocampus has been shown to actually shrink in size. And the amygdala, that much more primitive area, begins to grow. And this creates a very unbalanced response system. What we see is that this can impair social, emotional, cognitive functions such as academic performance, memory recall, ability to feel empathy, attention, inability to form positive relationships, aggression, inability to regulate yourself, 
and physical violence, as well as other diseases and disabilities and a whole host of other negative responses if this trauma cycle is not addressed. So let's all take one big breath and listen to a little music and then we'll come back and wrap it all up. Welcome back. So we know that this stress response feedback loop is dysfunctional. It's unbalanced and there's a variety of negative outcomes that um, can come from it. So what can we do? What can be done? Well, according to the neurosequential model of therapeutics, as I understand it, there are two patterns of stress. The first path, a dysfunctional path, leads um, to vulnerability, and that includes prolonged and extreme circumstances in an, here's the key, unpredictable environment. This then leads to higher sensitization and vulnerability for an individual towards this stress feedback, feedback loop that we just walked through. So the first path, dysfunctional, is prolonged extreme circumstances in an unpredictable environment, and that leads to vulnerability for um, this, this feedback loop and continuation of the trauma. The second path, however, is functional and includes controllable and moderate circumstances in a predictable environment. This second path leads to tolerance and resilience. This is the path we want. This is the path that we want to support. So let's go back to path one, the unpredictable environment. Things like sleep disruptions, emotional um, isolation, minimal exercise, too much media, minimal daily structure. That's, those are kind of things that um, patterns and habits and routines that we're going to see in that first path, that unpredictable environment where this might just continue the trauma cycle. But that second path, however, includes predictability. And it may include things like consistent daily schedules, family meals, limited media, and um, continual help from others or um, trusted relationships and um, that, that building up of relationships between peers and adults. Um, good attachment is also um, seen in this second path. So this is the way that we can affect change and build resi- resilience is by going down this path of using, we're all going to have stress response. None of us are going to be spared from that. We're all going to have stress. We're all, um, and as we assume, everybody has some level of trauma, but it's the connections that we have, the predictable environment, a lot matters in the relationships that we have and the environment that we have on how we respond to those stress responses, how we respond to those um, 
trauma situations. So the three things that I want to really highlight today as, as bringing us into the step, the action step of today, you know, what are, what can we do? What can we learn from that? We know that, you know, many, many, if not the, all pop, all of the population, a good portion of the population has some level of trauma. We know that, um, there is this adverse feedback loop that can, is a continuation, um, if, if left, if left without any, um, uh, intervention, we know that that can lead to many adverse, re- uh, responses. Um, but we also know that there's two paths and that we can affect change. And here's, here's how, um, from all of the trainings that we've had, these are kind of, I've pulled three of the main, the main aspects Number one, consistency and predictability. This includes things like structure and um, intentional transitions in your, if this is in your therapy sessions, in your home, um, in your day. We're all affected by this, but consistency and structure um, and then thought to both the micro and the macro transitions. So um, as a music therapist, we think, you know, the, the micro would be those transitions in between um, interventions in our session. Or as a teacher, you might think, you know, transitions between circle time and desk time or, or the different areas of your day. Those macro um, transitions are, are to and from school, um, to and from the session, some of those bigger um, transitions, but intentionally um, having uh, structure within those those transitions is is important for consistency and predictability. Consistency in consequences, both positive and negative consequences. That there's always going to be um, a consequence, but um, having consistency so that um, those individuals who have experienced trauma know what to expect, um, as well as consistency in your response and tone. So, as a parent, teacher, or therapist, how you respond you know, in both positive and negative, um, situations or, or responses from, um, the, the individual, whether it's your child or your client or your, you know, your employee, what, whatever it is, um, consistency in consequences and in your response and tone. Number two is connection relationships, building relationships and, um, we're going to dig deeper into this in another episode, but building positive relationships with yourself, peers, and adults is so important. Um, this is just time and time again throughout all of this training has that relationships and appropriate um, and positive attachment to adults, to peers um, is so important. In fact, there's this really beautiful um, relationship that uh, the neurosequential model of therapeutics um, shows in, in research about having how well a child regulates when there is um, a positive relationship adult working with them, basically a- along with them, because basically that they're the adult is teaching them to regulate, is creating a successful, predictable, consistent environment for them. And it really helps to 
reorganize and modify that dysregulation system, the dysregulated systems to actively interact with trauma, um, that trauma stress back stress feedback loop and make positive associations, which create change. So two, number two is connection. That's very, very, very important. And then number three is learning social and emotional skills. So both awareness and then regulation of self. And the thing that I think is important to note here is that there's just this really beautiful interconnected relationship between all of this, all three of these factors. So, um, and, and they build on each other and support. So, you know, predictable environments supports, um, being able to use strategies and resources. Um, you know, maybe just the strategies and resources would not be effective if we didn't have the structured environment and the supportive environment in which to learn and practice those strategies of regulation and self-awareness and, you know, exploring self and exploring, um, relationships with others. So, and it's important to have like, um, predictable environments so that then you can explore and build relationships and trust with others. So, so much of this, the overall goal, um, in our strategies for this second path of creating predictability and consistency is to create a safe environment. So how do we do that? And there are lots and lots of ways to do that. Um, but that's the overall goal is to bring, um, safe, and, and safety into an environment, um, and, and predictability connection with others and learning those social and emotional awareness and regulation skills are, um, are part of that functional change. So this is the place where we as music therapists and other creative therapists come in. The unique nature specifically of music and other creative arts experiences provide a space for this consistent and predictable environment. Positive connection to others and awareness of learning um, and learning of social and emotional skills and regulation of those. This is, this is exactly what we do. This is like our, this is our place. And a big part of this for creative experiences is in the sensory component. I'm going to stop there today because I just, I'm so excited, but we have dug so deep today into the neurology behind all of this and just the real specifics. So I'm going to stop today, um, and we will dig much deeper into the clinical segment. So we have all these different segments, research, clinical, uh, wellness, and music. And so the second week of the month is always going to be our clinical segment. So next month on the second Monday in February, I'm going to continue this. And I'm going to talk... Um, dig really deep into strategies. So we've already had this... Um, review of, of trauma-informed care and, and just kind of, you know, setting up the stage. So now I'm going to hopefully go through and as we've been processing and pull all of the strategies that um, we've learned and that we are continually learning and share those with you for both creative arts therapists, music therapists, of course, um, as well as parents and teachers um, can implement strategies in your therapy sessions, classrooms, and in the home. So 
I hope this episode piqued an interest in you to dig deeper into trauma-informed care and to consider it as an educational venture for you this year. As a final note, I wanted to mention just, and this is more of an opinion that has been kind of stirring inside me, but um, my last uh, course that I took was um, a course through Music Therapy Ed for trauma-informed care for music therapists specifically. And um, I, by the way, highly recommend this course, um, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, it actually qualified for ethics credits, and and it really had a, a great opportunity to kind of talk about um, what not only what trauma informed care is, but how does that impact our ethical responsibilities? And from doing a lot of kind of thinking about that. I absolutely think that as music therapists specifically, cause that's where I'm, I'm thinking from, but that it is essential that it is absolutely our ethical responsibility to, to at least be trauma informed, um, to be aware of it and to start the process and be, you know, I mean, if we can consider that we assume that everyone has some level of trauma, then it is paramount that we educate ourselves on ways to be part of positive functional change. So that's just my opinion, but um, I really think that it's something I'd, I'd encourage you to think about. And again, I have really, we have really loved learning about this and it's, it's very, very, very good for our practice and our services. Um, and I can tell you all of our services, our kids in the schools, um, in the home with families, um, in birth work, all of it. It's, it's so important to know about the effects of trauma and how we can be implement, implement strategies to be helpful in, in getting that second path and building resilience in our clients and our families that we work with. So Again, this episode is just a taste of the importance of this work, and I'll include all the links um, for you can find more information, but I highly encourage you to begin this journey towards trauma-informed care. It is a continual process and one I feel like we are just scratching the surface of here, Um, but I'm encouraged by it, and um, I hope you are too. So Miss Alyssa is going to be with you next week to host our first clinical skills segment. You won't want to miss it, so make sure you check out that on Monday morning. If you like this episode, please rate and review wherever you listen. We are just beginning here at Music Therapy and Beyond, and reviews mean so much. Find all the show notes, links, and resources at our website at www.musictherapyandbeyond.com. Follow us on Instagram at Music Therapy and Beyond and email us at musictherapyandbeyond.com. Have a great week, everyone, and thank you for the work you do in all the places you do it. See you next time.